The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Brothers and sisters, I just want you to know what a joy it is to be together with you to worship the Lord to see you and to be with you and to hear you. Now we come to the time to study the word together. So we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 11 and we're going to work our way through the first verse of chapter 7 this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11 invites you to stand please as I read. This is the word of God. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children. Widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let's pray. Lord, take your word now and cause us to understand more fully who we are and to embrace what you have commanded us to do as your distinct people. Lead us in this hour, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. I want to summarize for a moment the reading of the Old Testament. I know some of you have been challenged. You've tried to read it, you found it difficult. Some of you see it only as a book of rules. What you're missing, if you see it that way, is that the entirety of the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, are a story of redemption. If you look closely and you hear the big story that's going on. You see God redeeming a people. He sets them free from Egypt. Later, he sets them free from Babylon. And when God redeems his people, he gives them very specific commands to be distinct people. The message of the New Testament is the same message that God has redeemed a people. But this time, it is not just one group of people. God has redeemed a people from every tongue and tribe and nation and land. He has done this throughout history in every location. And these redeemed people, he calls to be distinct, to be set apart, to be who they are. So here's my main idea today. As the temple of the living God, we cleanse ourselves from defilement 
and pursue holiness. So let's try to link this together. Verse 11, we've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You're restricted by us, but you are, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as children, widen your hearts also. There's a lot of discussion about these three verses. This seems like something that's just inserted in the middle of the letter. What is Paul saying here? Why is he saying this? Why is he saying it at this moment? He's been in this elongated argument, uh, teaching of who we are in Christ, who we've been called to be, how we've been called to live as his ambassadors. And now he makes this defense moment in these few verses. Then expanding into this exp- explanation about not being unequally yoked and and cleansing ourselves. So what do these three verses have to do with it? Well, here's the accusation. This has been going on now for some time with the church at Corinth. People have infiltrated the church, and they're calling Paul a false teacher and saying that he really doesn't measure up. And Paul here is defending himself again in light of the gospel. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm not restricting you. You're restricting yourself with your own affections. You're making conclusions about me that are wrong. So let me lead you here to understand who we are. So don't call me something I'm not. I'm not calling you something you're not. I'm telling you who we are, who we are in Christ. Now, the way I'm going to do this is a little different. I'm not going to go verse by verse in order. I'm going to alter just a little bit because of the way we think we're a little bit more logical as Americans. Eastern thought happened a little different. That's when the Bible was written. So what's happening in this text is what Paul will do over and over again. Scholars call it the indicative imperative. You say, what does that mean? Indicative just means who you are. What is indicative of you? So Paul's going to say, this is who you are. Then he's going to give you imperative. Now, what makes it difficult, he gives the imperative, then the indicative, and then another imperative. So I'm going to to extract the indicative. Who are you? It's in verse 16. We are the temple of the living God. We're not temples. We are the temple. We, plural, are the temple, singular, of the living God. Now, who's we? It's very important we get this right. Go back to chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we are those who are new in Christ those who have been forgiven of their sin through the sacrificial blood of Christ, who have now received a righteousness that is not their own. The we is not someone who has worked for their salvation. It is the one who has believed that the work has been accomplished by Christ and Christ alone. So we who are in Christ are the temple of the living God. Now understand this a little more. Flip a couple of pages over to Ephesians chapter 2, to your right in your Bible. In Ephesians 2, the argument is made as to why people should not socially and racially separate within the church, that those walls, those divisions have been broken down. 
And it concludes with this in chapter 2, verse 19. You are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone and whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, that is in Christ, you, plural, also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So God is building together, joining together as we are in Christ. We are we are. We are joined together in an undivided way, in a way that only Christ could do, and we are built, being built together to be the dwelling place of God or the temple of God. Now, what follows are promises in light of this. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, in most of your Bibles, that's indented. That's showing you he's quoting from the Old Testament. But here's what's fascinating. He's quoting from multiple texts all across the Old Testament. I'll just conclude what he's saying here at the end. At the end, he's taking 2 Samuel 7, 14, God's promise to David, the Davidic covenant, and he's grabbing from Isaiah 43 when God is about to release his people from Babylon and he's speaking to them through the prophet Isaiah. And he says to them, you are members of God's family. So corporately, he begins by saying you're the temple. Corporately, we are God's temple. Individually, we are sons and daughters of God. We are members of the family of God. Now, to see this more fully, I want you to turn to Isaiah 43. Isaiah chapter 43. In this, God is saying to them, I alone, I am your Savior. And he's about to set them free from, from Babylon. Now I'm going to read the entire context around where, he gra- where Paul grabs from. Verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Let me me just hit the pause button here for a second. There's a lot swirling right now on the Internet about Jesus coming back and the fulfillments of prophecy and all that. I want to make a little warning to American Christians for a second. Every time it gets hard in America, Americans decide Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Most of your Christian brothers and sisters have been living incredibly difficult lives for Christ for the last several centuries. Much harder than you have it. Now, Jesus could come back before I get the next sentence out of my mouth. The imminent return of Christ is upon us. 
We've been living in the last days since Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to the Father. When he says last days, that's what he means. The moment from ascension till he returns. Now, I'm not trying to debunk any prophecy here. What am I saying to you? I am saying to you that you're going to pass through deep waters and they're not going to overwhelm you. I'm saying you're going to walk through fire and it's not going to burn you or consume you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not. Why? For I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and the west. I will gather and I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from where? The end of the earth. I've read the rest of the book. I don't know if you have. But here's what it promises in Revelation. There are going to be people at the throne from every tribe, tongue, and nation and land. The offspring of God's people. Because God's people are faithful with the gospel, there are going to be people at the throne of God way beyond the United States of America. This is God's promise. And they too are the temple of God. We are a part of God's family. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is who we are in Christ Jesus. And this has profound implications on us in where we live, wherever it is in time and space. So let's go back to the plain of Dura at the time of captivity. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, worship this thing that looks like me. And when I play this song, all of you bow down. And what you got to understand in the plain of Dura, there were people from all over the world there at that moment. And as far as your eye could see, as soon as they hit the music, they bowed, except, except three young men. Three. They stood and said, we bow to no one but our king, who is the Lord God Almighty. And what I say to you, brothers and sisters, at this point in time, in history, it is becoming absolutely clear to you that the land that you live in, you can't call it Christian anymore. What this land you live in is going to require is for you to be a Christian. And when this land tells you to bow, you better stand. Why? Because we are the temple of God. We don't bow to idols. We are the temple of God. Now, understanding who we are, we come to the imperatives of this text. Two of them. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Let me be very careful from the beginning. This does not mean that believers are to, have, have, to refuse to have any association with unbelievers. How will they know unless they hear? And how are they going to hear unless we have relationship with them? There's a difference between having relationship with non-believers, of being missional toward non-believers and our neighbors, and being yoked with unbelievers. Now the image he's drawing from is from Deuteronomy chapter 22 when God told his people not to plow with an ox and a donkey in the same yoke. 
You say, well, that would be common sense. You put a big, massive animal and a small, stubborn animal, and you tie them together to try to accomplish something, that's a mismatch. It's not going to work. But you got to think beyond mismatch. Some translations even use that. Don't be mismatched with unbelievers. There's an involvement of relationship here, something that gets to shared purpose, shared belief, that also results in shared task. One author I read this week said, too many believers are pulling the plow of the unbeliever's belief. That we've gotten yoked up with what unbelievers are believing and joining into it. We bear the yoke of Christ, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. We have been yoked with Jesus. We have attached ourselves to him. So therefore, we serve no one but him. Now, typically... Somebody takes verse 14, do not be yoked with unbelievers, and, it's, and narrow it down and assign it to marriage. Now, if you are a professing Christian prior to marriage, you should not marry a non-believer. This text would be certainly applied to that. But that is not all this means. It means that we as Christians do not connect ourselves into deep relationship. We don't yoke ourselves with non-believers. Now, let me give you a place this applies, and I think it applies contextually to 2 Corinthians. This is why we practice church membership, to be clear who makes up the church. And we believe as a church in regenerate church membership. That means those who are members of the church are those who are trusting in Christ alone for salvation, that the old has been made new, and they are professing and living this faith in their life. Now, some of you have been confused. You say, why does Parkwood not have to come forward at the end? Here's why. Because you can come forward and say, I want to join the church. We don't know you from Adam. We don't know anything about you. You could be absolutely lost. You could be a complete troublemaker. You could be a person who believes something completely contrary to us. And at that moment, we welcome you into the church. And I believe this is one of the things that's destroying the church in the South. Because we're indiscriminately letting anybody in. You say, well, you're not God. Well, I'm not God, but I am a person who is to discern by the Word of God who the people of God are. And the people of God are those who profess Him and give evidence that they have been born again. That's who makes up the church. But I think it's even further and you can say, this is impossible, what I'm about to say next out of my mouth. I think it's even further, and many commentators believe what Paul is saying is, don't yoke yourself up to false teachers. Go back to the context, 11 to 13, where Paul's defending himself. These false teachers are calling Paul into question. And here's one of the things the false teachers were saying. Hey, believe in Jesus, but you can also worship idols. It's all right. Have you noticed how many popular preachers are saying exactly what people want to hear? The Bible said it would happen. That people would infiltrate the church and they would say whatever people wanted to hear. And people would say, that's great. Say, I can already hear the, the conversation in the car after this sermon. That was so negative. So you're not even allowed to preach like I'm preaching right now anymore. It's all got to be positive and happy and love and love. And because of that, listen to me, we've lost sight of who God's people are. 
We've lost sight of what it means to be distinctly God's people. We don't yoke with non-believers. Now, he gives you five questions. Now, I want you to see the words in the question that tie you back to not being yoked. Partnership, fellowship, accord, portion, agreement. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What what purpose do we share with someone who is in a state of rebellion when we are the righteousness of Christ? What fellowship has light with darkness? What association do we have with someone who is spiritually blind, who's walking in the dark, when our eyes have been opened to the gospel and we walk in the light? What accord has Christ with Bilal? What, what harmony of agenda or character do we have with somebody who's dominated by the evil one? Or to say it this way, as another writer said, we should have no more in common with unbelievers than Jesus does with Satan. What portion does a believer have with an unbeliever? Now let's be clear here. We're talking about somebody who's, who's obviously an unbeliever. Who's, who, we just don't know that they're lost. This is a person who is not believing. What interest or inheritance do we have with someone who rejects Christ? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? What union with false worship do we have when we know that we are the temple of the living God? Verse 7, I mean chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So he's built his argument. You are the temple. He's walked through these promises from God, understanding that we are to come out and be separate, that we are the sons of daughters of God. And he says, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to the completion in the fear of God. If you're writing your Bible, I'd encourage you to underline or highlight the word every. Every. Let's just just be straight before I go any further in this sermon. Every one of us in this room struggle with defilement somewhere. And here's what's happened. In the South, we narrowed it down to three or four sins, and as long as you didn't do those, you you live in the right life. Preachers like me got up at funerals and said, he's such a good person. Listen to me. We all struggle with defilement. And the scripture says that we're to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. So we don't make this false dichotomy of things you do outside and things that are going on inside. That we cleanse ourselves of every defilement of body and of spirit. Let me try to illustrate this. I've been reading and thinking a lot about digital education. We as a church have been forced into it over the last several months. It's not just, you can't just ask the question, are we putting it online? Is it making any difference? Are are we actually communicating, educating the people of God? Is, Is that actually happening? 
So like, I, I just want to ask people, watch me online, how many of you have done something else while I'm preaching? So a, an educator from a college has been studying Christian schools that are using digital forms of education now. All the students have iPads or computers, and they're asking the question, are these kids actually learning? What is actually happening as they're using these devices? So they have studied multiple Christian schools. They've spent over 500 hours sitting in the back of classrooms where they could actually see the devices while the teacher was teaching and see what was going on. So here's what they found. They didn't find what everybody was afraid of, that the kids were on pornography or they were bullying each other during class. That actually wasn't really happening. It happened occasionally, but the kids are smart enough. They know there's filters on that device and there are filters at the school that they can't go there. But here's what they found. They found a very, uh, something that totally surprised them. You know what the kids were doing during class primarily? Shopping. Almost 70% of their time was spent shopping, boys and girls. Now, this guy's a believer, and he's saying, when I shared this with the administrators and parents, everybody just kind of was indifferent to it. And he said, have, have, have we as Christians paused to think, what is this doing to us? Has the Internet simply made us consumers, that that's all we are? What can we buy next? What, what, what can we get next? I mean, I, I'm not being ugly here. When I was 15, shopping was the last thing on my mind. This wasn't just girls. Now, I, I'm not trying to condemn shopping. What I'm trying to say is, Defilement happens in ways we don't even realize. In ways that we don't even see. And we are to cleanse ourselves of these things. Now, you don't just remove from your life, you replace. If you just remove, Jesus did a parable about this, not only will what you remove come back, it'll bring 10 guests with it. You gotta replace. So let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing, here's what we bring, holiness to completion in the fear of God. Now the foundation here is in the fear of God, in reverence to God Almighty, the one, chapter 5, whom we're going to stand before. So in reverence to God, we are bringing holiness to completion. Now let's go over to what Peter said. First Peter is toward the end of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. So Peter writes, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. <laughs> you, you ever noticed you still think about the stuff you did before you got saved? That ignorance still comes up. The Bible acknowledges that. Don't, don't be conformed to it. But he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So God is the one whom we look to, the holy God whom we're going to 
answer to. And as he is holy, we pursue holiness. And this only happens through Christ our Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now listen carefully to me. This principle is true. What you pursue and what you consume, you become. So brothers and sisters, how can we spend hours a day on some form of a device, whether it's a television or a phone? How can we spend hours of day on a device where someone else is dictating what I see and not be affected by it? You say, well, wait a minute. I turn the channel to where I want it. Or I click on what I want to click on. I don't think some of you know how the Internet's working. Do you know that Facebook knows what you want to see? Have you ever noticed the same kind of stuff shows up in your feed? I'll give you an example. If you're into conspiracy theory, it'll feed your box with conspiracy theory. If you're into fear, it'll feed you with more stuff to be afraid of. If you're angry, it'll feed you with anger. If you're sensual, it'll feed you with sensual. It has algorithms that are working back there. It knows what you've clicked on before, and it's going to sign it. So here's, here's how it works. All right, we're all looking at the Weather Channel right now because there's a hurricane coming, right? Have you noticed that when you go over on the Weather Channel, which has absolutely nothing to do with anything else, that what you were looking at on Amazon shows up on the Weather Channel? It's rigged. And don't think for a moment that it's not affecting us. I'm not trying to scare you with what I'm saying. I'm trying to tell you Brothers and sisters, there's a reason you're so scared in the midst of COVID. There's a reason the world is so angry and divided. It's because that's what the world is feeding us. And we have got to understand who ultimately controls the algorithms of the world the one who has redeemed his people and set us free and called us to be holy as he is holy. We must bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. So my question to you this morning is, as temples of the living God, are we cleansing ourselves from defilement and pursuing holiness? The greatest threat to the church today you ready? The greatest threat to the church today is us. It's not them. It's us. When we give in to the passions of our flesh, when we refuse to cleanse ourselves from defilement and pursue holiness, we become like that which is outside of us. And the church is rapidly becoming like the world. The reason she's disappearing in America is not because the world is trying to strip her away. There's some of that going on, but it didn't have to do that. We corrupted ourselves from within and disappeared. 
I predict to you that there will be a mass decline in people who attend church after COVID's over. Because people are going to come to a conclusion. I don't need it. I didn't need it anyway. Brothers and sisters, we must understand who we are. That we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we may proclaim the excellence of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were once not a people, but now we're God's people. We once hadn't received mercy, now we have received the mercy of God. So, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. You see how it works? This is who you are. So abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your stuff up. I don't, I don't want what we're about to do together. I don't want a lot of movement. So let's put your stuff away. I'm not saying this mean at all. In about 10 minutes, you'll be gone. Put your phone down. Okay? Put it down. And I want you to bow your head before the Lord. And if you're not willing to participate in what I'm about to do in this exercise of meditation and prayer, please don't bother who you're with. Question number one, before God, where is the war waging in my soul? Maybe it's unbelief, maybe it's temptation, maybe it's fear, maybe it's anger. Where's the war? What are the passions of the flesh that I need to abstain from? What do I need to say no to today? No. Where am I blurring the distinction of who I am? Let me say it another way. What idols have crept into the temple? God will not be mocked, my friend. He will not tolerate it. He will not allow it to continue in our lives, individually and collectively. So will you join me today? Will you cleanse yourself before God right now by confessing your sin? Not in a generalist kind of way, but in a specific way. And will you cry out before God and acknowledge that He has both called you to and supplied the need that you have to pursue holiness in your life. Oh God, I'm not trying to be an alarmist to my own heart or to the hearts of my brothers and sisters who gathered here today, but this time that has bound us up in homes with a device like we've never had before We've got to decide how we're going to do all this alone time uniquely as the people of God.
And I fear that for many of us, we're rotting from the inside. So cause us to see the defilement today that has crept in and for some even fully embraced. And may we bring it into the light, confess it, for you already see it and know it, and receive forgiveness through Christ alone. And may you burden your people now to give themselves to the pursuit of holiness and to make right decision and right action in their life to be and to live who they are. I plead this in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. I want to invite you to sing, stand and sing this prayer together. I need you. I need you. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.